Welcome to episode 206 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the Clash at the Super Bowl edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host and a nervous San Francisco 49ers fan leading up to said Super Bowl. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host, the iRacing Indy 500 champion, computer genius, a gentleman and a scholar and somebody who was troubleshooting for his parents just now. His name is Josh Fine. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, yeah, of course, um, Super Bowl week and uh, glad to see one of our teams in the Super Bowl, of course. But, uh, you know, what a what a season it's been. And, you know, now we have this, the San Francisco 49ers here in the Super Bowl. So it's going to be exciting to see them play, of course. But a huge uh, F1 move just happened this past weekend, of course, and uh, got everybody talking here, even people that don't even watch F1 and everything. So uh, that was a very, very exciting news. And just so happens that they're also in red, just like the San Francisco 49ers. And the Kansas City Chiefs. So the all the conspiracy theorists about the colors were wrong uh on that one uh the red of uh marinello the uh tifosi itch will include me uh when lewis hamilton turns 40 next year uh he will be a ferrari driver something that probably nobody ever thought would happen but it is happening. He will drive at least two years, so he'll be driving into his age 41. He'll drive at age 41, which is, I mean, considering Fred Alonso keeps on going, it's not all that uh, out of the realm, but for Lewis Hamilton to make this move at this point in his career after all the years he has spent with Mercedes, um, it's enormous. Uh, We'll definitely talk about that, of course. We will also talk about Andretti, global getting denied by the fom for a spot on the f1 grid we will recap dennis hamlin's win at the coliseum uh it was a toyota benefit honestly uh and uh which isn't too surprising considering mtj won it last year but new body styles they had to go and basically think on their feet nascar actually made a decent call for once um the announcing wasn't bad but the camera the camera uh shooting and the producing and directing was still terrible per fox um we'll get into all those things we'll also preview the super bowl super bowl 58 we have some uh interesting news uh, that's come out today um uh, in formula one and also elsewhere uh josh will let us know all things going on in the world of iRacing and gaming in a sim segment and then we'll call it a day so yeah i mean the biggest story in formula one in in many years uh the greatest driver arguably the greatest driver in the history of formula one making a move that ayrton senna wanted to make but never got the chance to uh a move that michael schumacher made but he was in the prime of his career and they were in a rebuilding phase um you think about the the people who have went to ferrari whether in and in a lot of cases they've either been on the back end of their career which obviously that is for lewis as well but there's something different about this and that lewis is highly motivated to make this work and also to go and 
he honestly believes that an eighth world championship is possible with the new formula coming in 2026. He must know John Elkin, who was the guy that convinced him to come to Ferrari. Um, not just the fact that he's going to get an ambassadorship and all these other things that come with taking being the number one driver, pseudo number one driver at Ferrari. Uh, it's one of the craziest things uh, I've seen in a long time. I didn't buy it. I really didn't buy it for half a day. And then as it got into the afternoon and more stuff started coming out, I'm like, holy crap, it actually is going to happen. And the way that Total Wolf seemed to be about it and the way Mercedes handled things, I think we're better off that way because um, Mercedes wasn't serious about keeping Lewis Hamilton. Um, they were only giving him a one-year deal with an option for a second after he's driven for Mercedes since he age 13. And, I mean, that's he should be able to kind of ask for whatever he wants. But the excuse supposedly for why Mercedes reneged on a, that same deal that he signed with Ferrari is because they were worried that he was going to pull a pull a Nico Rosberg. And the difference is Lewis Hamilton has balls. Um, so he wasn't going to go and just hoodwink Mercedes. I think if he was really going to go and pull the plug, he would be working in behind the scenes to try to get somebody there. Um, but I mean, the fact that Lewis Hamilton's going to Ferrari is absolutely insane. Um, him and Charles Leclerc are going to be a solid driver combination. Um, unlike what he has with George Russell right now, Charles Leclerc doesn't have a problem with speed. That's never been, uh, uh, an issue from the moment he's been in formula one and even pre prior to that. Um, his ability to finish races and close races um, and the amount of mistakes he makes, that's where Charles Leclerc um, needs that help. And also the fact that Ferrari does not seem the quality control side in multiple areas is lacking. Lewis Hamilton's been through it with two big organizations. Now he's going to a third. It's a totally different vibe, of course, at Ferrari, but the reality of the world is he's Lewis Hamilton. I mean, your Alan Prost has been there. You mean his his mentor, the guy, the reason why Lewis Hamilton's at actual Mercedes is Nicky Lauda, the late Nicky Lauda. Nicky Lauda did his best work in Ferraris, was outspoken and how bad some of the Ferraris were, at least initially in his time there. Um, he goes and he gets to follow that uh, path. You know, Alan Prost was there. Nigel Mansell was there. Uh, you think about guys like Gerhard Berger had a couple of stints at Ferrari um, and was a McLaren driver uh, in between that. Uh, I mean, the the who's who, Mario Andretti, which of course we'll talk about Andretti here in a little bit. But you name it, they more or less, the vast majority of people have driven a Ferrari in Formula One, and if there's one team that everyone says they really want to drive for, if they get that chance, this is the this is the one. And uh, Josh, I mean, didn't buy it, but it's true. It's at least a two-year deal to drive in Formula One. It's a multi-year deal with a bunch of other stuff going on, and um, 
my hope personally is not just that he keeps on driving in Formula One, but and he has a chance with a team that wants to support him, but also he'll get to go to Le Mans and drive a Ferrari, which, of course, this past year, Ferrari won the 24 Hours of Le Mans and their return as a factory effort for the first time in decades. So there's there's a lot of good things that can come from this partnership before we get anywhere near it actually taking place. Yeah, definitely there's going to be a lot of good things that can come out of this partnership uh, with Lewis. And you mentioned with Charles Leclerc and the effect that will have on him. And I would agree with you that he's had trouble finishing races. And I think that's really a Ferrari problem, not necessarily a Charles Leclerc problem. But, you know, with Lewis uh, joining, I think it will give him a a lot of mentorship that he probably needs um, that maybe he hasn't received yet. You know, kind of similar in the way to how when Lewis came on, he was mentored to a degree with – uh, Fernando Alonso and you know later on with Jensen Button and um, everybody else at McLaren up until he went on to Mercedes so definitely it's going to be a standard bearer for a few years uh, for uh, Charles Leclerc there and then for Lewis uh, it's going to be a chance with the team that we think is possibly on the up, uprise here uh, up against uh, Red Bull it's going to give him a chance to um, prove that he can get an eighth uh, world championship in this uh, new era of Formula One since the regulations changed two seasons ago. Uh, of course, in that time, Mercedes slowed down a lot compared to you know where they were. Uh, Lewis hasn't had a win uh, since uh, before the race, before he lost the 2021 title or when it was taken away from him, however you want to view that. But uh, Lewis obviously feels that this is the move that he needs to make, and you know, it's one uh, more challenge that he can have in his career. And I think every, like you said, every great F1 driver wants to race, uh, in Ferrari. I think Ferrari is obviously synonymous with, uh, formula one here. And for, um, Ferrari makes, makes a lot of sense. They can get a star driver that can possibly win a title, uh, here, uh, instantly or, you know, relatively quickly for them. So that's also a, a good thing for them. And then you mentioned with, possibly going to Le Mans could could happen post F1 for Lewis if he decides to go beyond that uh although I I feel like Lewis might be the guy that once he hangs it up in F1 he might be done period we'll see but um yeah just a just a shock move all around uh you know I mentioned earlier that even non-F1 people were talking about this or casual F1 people you know talking to talking to friends talking to co-workers about it uh, you know I was mentioning like one friend asked me to explain it into NBA terms and I was like well I guess it would be like you know when LeBron went to the Lakers or something like that a team that's historically had success and all that uh, you know it, it'd be like if he had a year left to play on the Cavs but still um, went and signed with the Lakers for the following season or something like that so something like that, I guess, or, uh, you know, and, and the reason why, you know, they had to announce it now is because obviously they found an opportunity to do it and everything. And, um, it's, you know, even if they signed the deal now and didn't announce it until later, like it's very hard to keep that under wraps and everything. And people find out very quickly, uh, what the rumors are and what everything is. And it would be hard to keep it a secret, of course. And, you know, why announce it now? Well, uh, I mean, there's still still a season left, and obviously they can't get out of it now. It's very hard. Everything's already uh, tied up, but you know, they can go ahead and make that preparation, I guess, gives a 
final send off to Lewis uh, in uh, the Mercedes colors, and then also you know for Carlos Sainz, who he'll be replacing, gives him a chance to prove himself to get a ride for next year. Uh, already, we're already talking about next year, and we haven't even started this year, so it's just crazy how how it all turns out. But yeah, it's a big big shock move here in in this sport, and definitely now I. Obviously, now we are looking forward to 2025 already to see how uh, Lewis Hamilton will do in Ferrari colors. I mean, and I think it also on the cusp of uh, the whole Andretti thing that happened the day before um, this, this news comes out to kind of cover our FOM and all this other thing. But the the fact that fans, casuals and even diehards are getting to a point that they weren't really all that keen on formula one um i wasn't obviously looking forward to this year very much anyway uh i just i was just going to work under the assumption that it was going to be the same crap that it has been for the last two years uh with fish lips um and red fool and um instead uh lewis hamilton not only retakes the headlines he gets paid more than fish lips which should be the case since he's better than him uh but yeah i mean to think about it it's like to me in a lot of ways it's like joe montana going to the kansas city chiefs when they traded him away when he was still he's still joe montana granted he wasn't at a hundred percent at that point in his career he had suffered multiple injuries and bill walsh had hedged for that for I don't know how many years prior to that, uh, hence why he got Steve Young, uh, but it finally became untenable, and they had to get they had to move uh, Joe Montana. And it's interesting talking about Joe Montana and Steve Young since it's a Super Bowl. Um, but you know, like it's it's something like that. It would be like uh, you know, like Ray Lewis going to the Steelers. Uh, you know, it would be like. I mean, I think for for you, Josh, like with Jimmy Smith or with Keenan McCardell or somebody like that moving over to the to the Titans or something. Oh, like, don't say that. <laughs> sorry, I, I, I uh, there's there's no. I mean, it's either them or. Uh, or I mean, I think it's more of like Tom Brady, you know, because Lewis and Tom Brady are like, yeah. you know, each their one one to one i guess in football and f1 right modern both the modern goats and i mean yeah it'd be like if if tom brady went over to uh uh the bucks and still had a year left to play patriots or yeah. something yeah yeah i mean he like it would have if tom brady had actually went to san francisco like he wanted to and kyle shanahan actually made that happen instead of being a bitch um they would have won a Super Bowl already, but that's beside the point. Um, the reality of the world is that's kind of what it would be. You know, uh, you talked about LeBron. And it would be like Jordan going to going to the Knicks, which would have been something. Um, but, of course, he hated the Knicks, just like so many other people hate New York, which um, that's part of what drove him. I mean, he was just an angry guy, which I don't know why when you're as good as he was, but whatever. Um, but yeah, Formula One, man, uh, more people are thinking about 2025 than they are about 2024. And we only just started livery reveals, uh, for 2024. So, uh, 
I guess that tells you how good the 2024 season is going to be. But for Lewis Hamilton, he's got something to look forward to. I think in Carlos Sainz's case, you mentioned that, Josh. I think he does have options. Um, There's one option that stands out more than the rest. Uh, There's been a couple of big signings. Of course, uh, Leclerc gets re-signed by Ferrari. Norris gets re-signed by McLaren. So they have their driver lineup set for multiple years um that locks out two big seats uh, with younger drivers uh guys that are in the same you know kind of uh, wavelength as carlos signs but there's one uh one manufacturer that's coming into formula one in 2026 in audi that needs a, a driver a lead driver uh, to uh, head their program and uh, just happens to be that his father has driven for Audi for the last few years and rally raid and just won the Dakar rally. And um, why wouldn't they just go and sign Carlos Jr. to lead their charge uh, in uh, Formula One? He's been a development driver on and off for many years. He's driven for multiple teams. He understands a lot of the dynamics and um, he has made himself into a Grand Prix winner um, and theoretically the better driver at Ferrari uh, over Leclerc. So I think that's where uh, he's going. Uh, they're really, I'm try, I was trying to think in my mind what else would really be there. He could go back to the Endstone team, uh, Alpine, perhaps, um, if they decided to jettison Ocon or, or Gasly. Uh, both of them, of course, are Grand Prix winners, uh, but, you know, uh, it might make sense. But that that's really the only other idea that really makes sense and could actually come off because there's no way in hell Fish Lips wants to drive with him because Carlos Sainz wouldn't, wouldn't want to be a cuckold, number one. Number two, him and, and uh, Fish Lips didn't get along when they were teammates, supposedly, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, considering how great of a character Fishlips is. Um, wonder where he got that from. And um, so, I mean, they the, the reality is he's not going to Red Bull. Can't stay at Ferrari. Mercedes is the other one. I guess that's the one, uh, one kind of uh, wild card in that does Mercedes, because they have um, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, the young... Uh, talent who's jumping from Formula 4 to Formula 2 this year. Um, if he needs two years to develop in Formula 2, would they go and do a one-year uh, rental on Carlos Sainz prior to him going to Audi? I don't know if that really works when you consider if he were to go to Audi. Um, I don't think that would be uh, something that Mercedes and Daimler uh, wants to deal with. So, I mean, there, there's other options there, but I honestly think he's going to Sauber or whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days, um, for next year. And, uh, he'll spend a year having to eat it, so to speak, uh, with the crappy car and everything before Audi fully comes in, but we'll find out about that, uh, as the season goes on. Now, a team that will not, be on the grid or at least as of now won't be on the grid is andretti global 
Formula One. Uh, they had lodged, uh, they paid all the trillions of dollars that it cost to lodge an entry. They basically jumped through hoops and went through, uh, as they kept on moving the proverbial goalpost, yet another football reference, uh, uh, during this whole process, uh, Michael Andretti's team had, uh, and his people had answered all of those things. Uh, but in the end, the FOM, under dubious circumstances, decided that Andretti Global wasn't uh, worthy of a spot on the grid, which is hilarious considering some of the teams that have been on the grid in recent years. Uh, the notion that Haas was like a year away from basically being owned by Russia and um, and was had literally one of the worst drivers in the history of mankind driving one of those cars and then you had williams basically being the drizzling shits uh for i don't know how many years and it's the only thing that really kept them around was legacy um otherwise i think they would have been out the door too um sauber's been on and off kind of been iffy for however many years since they lost like that full factory support from bmw back in the early aughts there um they haven't been much of anything here and they've had flashes here and there with sergio perez or whatever but now they're a back-end team uh until audi comes along so i mean you're talking about 30 percent of the grid right there and you can question the the validity of those three teams and um and then i mean you talk about alpine they haven't been all that competitive over time in recent years um, uh, I mean, there's, I'm trying to think also of the other, uh, yeah, I mean, I talked about both Ferrari customers. I talked about one Mercedes customer, McLaren made that recovery last year, but, uh, let's be fair here. It, there have been lean periods for McLaren over the past, ever since Lewis left, uh, in 20, 2012, after 2012, there have been lean periods with McLaren, uh, you have whatever Red Bull Cash App, Visa, uh, check cashing service, Gold, whatever, Gold's Gym, this, that, and the other thing, F1, um, which basically is minority, and um, they haven't really added much of anything to anything um, for their whole entire existence, other than a reason for one-eyed Marco to talk, which the fact he hasn't been... I mean, I'm not going to go there. I, I really, I wanted to say something really effed up about One-Eyed Marco um, after the latest incendiary comments he had about Lewis Hamilton. Um, but it's like, he's just a bitter, angry, racist old man. And um, Red Bull harboring him tells you all you need to know about what they are as a company and as a as a brand in terms of motorsport. Um, harboring a guy like him. For as long as they have and it'll be interesting we'll talk about that in the motorsports update with karen horner um uh, considering what kind of guy he is too uh the, the the absolute gem of the earth that he is um being a trust fund baby and then thinking he can go and flash his wiener uh to some woman and think it's okay like he's freaking anthony wiener or something i mean it's unbelievable the people uh these people at red bull the, the arrogance and how obnoxious they are um, 
the world would be a better place without both of them uh and fish lips to be fair but the fact is fish we're stuck with him uh I mean, at least he wins to his credit sad, sadly um but you know um in in terms of the andretti thing it's absolutely an abomination that andretti isn't on the grid they're not you're it basically says that for fom and all these teams they have no problem using getting american sponsors they have no problem racing one eighth of their schedule in the united states of america and one sixth of their over one sixth of their schedule in the americas they don't have a with the sponsors they race five races in the americas or six to be fair yeah six yeah so essentially a quarter of the seat of the schedule is in the americas you're you got you have an american driver granted no most americans don't even know who the hell logan Sargent is um for you know whatever reason one way or the other um he drives for a team that's owned by an american business uh, you have other entities within formula one that own teams that are american involved you have the Liberty Media, excuse me here as I go and open my seltzer, the Go and their their American company. But an American brand with a name, with um, a dude that actually drove in Formula One. Granted, it wasn't great, but he drove in Formula One and did get a podium on his last race. His father was one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. He literally is a mogul in motorsports. He owns cars all over the freaking globe. There's, if there's a series, there's more than likely an Andretti presence there. Yes, even in NASCAR, he does have a presence. It's just not fully written in there yet um, with the whole um, Gainbridge thing. It's basically, if you see Gainbridge on it, it's a connection to Andretti now um, because he's the co-owner guy and basically the benefactor who funded all that crap to get this through for them to not even get through. Um I mean, there's been really bad teams in Formula One. I've watched Formula One for a very, very long time, and I have seen some really god-awful teams. Now, if Andretti's team struggled, okay, fine, but would they be like 18 seconds off the pace like some of these teams have been over the time? Would they not be able to make the 107% rule? No. Um, I mean, it's it's just uncomfortable. It's just unbelievable to me, Josh, that uh, Andretti got denied. I mean, to be fair, I think everybody and their mother knew they were going to do it. They just had to come up with a reason or reasons for why. And per typical FIA, FOM, or FOM, they had no answers because they're full of shit. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's an old boys club. It's country club with the FOM uh there so uh of course yeah i mean i think it's gonna always gonna be a tough tough hill uh for uh andretti to climb to to get to uh forming the one but you know i do think overall it's still a insult to everyone's intelligence if you're a american f1 fan uh or someone that's in the motorsports industry really not just a fan um but if you're just in the industry here in america and nascar or, uh um, IndyCar, um, I mean, even even Haas. Let's say Haas for you know. I think you know. I don't 
you know, they're not truly an American team, right? But, um, you know, now to have a brand new American team with Andretti and Cadillac and then get denied uh, entry at least uh, for 2026 and 2027, you know, it's an uh, insult to a lot of people's, uh, you know, intelligence there. So, um, yeah, I think uh, they they ought to be in this series. You know, obviously Andretti, a lot of history. Um, you know, Andretti in America, synonymous with the word speed uh, for most of the 20th century, of course. And Andretti, uh, um, Mario is a Formula One champion. You know, he's won, you know, the Indianapolis 500, the Daytona 500, uh, won uh, in the you know F1. Michael Andretti, although his F1 stint didn't go as well, you know he's still one of the most uh, successful racers in American open wheel racing history, of course, um, and all that. So, um, yeah, and then of course you have one of the legacy brands that's you know established in IMSA right now with uh, Cadillac, and they're not having a chance to put their badge on an F1 car. So uh, that's pretty big with uh, General Motors, of course. I don't know. Maybe if maybe if he had had gone with Honda or somebody, maybe they would have uh, accepted it. Maybe maybe they just don't like GM. Maybe that's what it is. But um, you know, it's uh, interesting to see how uh, all this plays out. And I think you, know, you talk about with all the American interests and stuff going in. You have um, Netflix, the Netflix series going in. You have Liberty Media, which is an American entity. Uh, you have all these brands: Visa, uh, Cash App, Google, uh, Oracle. Um, all these different brands that are, you know, have, you know, ties to the United States. Um, you know, you have the United States Grand Prix, you have the Miami Grand Prix, you have uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix, and there's rumors of possibly a fourth one in Chicago or something like that, uh, allegedly, that couldn't happen. And then plus, you know, you, like you said, you have the Mexican Grand Prix and the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, of course, and you have all of those races potentially or that are here or potentially being here in the United States and you still don't want a true bred American team. You know, Haas, of course, like I mentioned, is uh, you know, former was it was already on the grid and then Gene Haas just bought them out and half of it's based here in the United States and the other half is based over in, in the UK. So um, you know, they obviously for whatever reason they don't want a true American based team. But, you know, it's um uh, sad to say that, you know, and I think it um, should, I mean, the level of interest here in America, we'll see how long it lasts and everything. And I think that's one thing that would, I think, keep American interests is if we actually had a legitimate American team, not just a backmarker like Haas, and one that can potentially feed in uh, American drivers like Colton Herta, who is, uh, you know, should be an F1, honestly, with the level of talent that he has, uh, like Alex Pelot, who a little bit old, but still, um, and he's not American, but he made his name here, uh, in the United States in IndyCar, Pato Award, another, uh, America's based driver, right. And all these other, you know, young talent that's currently in IndyCar, um, that, you know, could shine their talent on the global stage if, uh, you know, they had a team with, uh, a legitimate American team in F1. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, a one-way street apparently with uh with f1 so um that's the other side of it you know with of course the exciting news that we talked about earlier with lewis going to ferrari and everything and then the other half is this uh kind of letdown which i think maybe not so much of a letdown if we understand how it all works and everything with uh formula one kind of kind of being the old man country club like i said 
Yeah, it's kind of like they, I mean, Andretti, I, it's a good point you made about Honda because he's had a, a relationship with Honda going back uh, like 20 years, really. And Michael Andretti, um, once he left Newman Haas, he went to Team Green and eventually bought out Team Green. Uh, and that was a Honda program. And he drove his last few years of his career last uh, what was it, last year and change of his IndyCar career was in a Honda-powered car. Um, he had tested in Formula One with Honda-powered McLarens. Um, he, with Wayne Taylor, runs the Acura uh, program in IMSA. Um, he runs Hondas in IndyCar. He's been, I mean, he worked with GM as well and um, and was planning on working with Cadillac. Uh, they were going to work with Alpine as a customer uh, engine for a couple of years before Cadillac came in fully. Uh, but it's General Motors, uh, the same General Motors that I think has won more races than anybody in NASCAR, uh, the same General Motors that has the Corvette program that has won God knows how many races uh, over the past 20 22 years or whatever 23 years uh in imsa and across the world uh, the same general motors that's dominant in nhra uh, etc etc it's effing general motors i'm no gm guy either but for fuck's sake it's gm and it's cadillac um i mean what you have aston martin you have ferrari you have you know mercedes and uh some of these other, you know, brands, Cadillac fits. Um, yes, they don't have a power unit ready to go, but let's be clear here to make one of those stupid power units as it is, how expensive it is to make one. Why the hell are they just going to have one willy nilly? It's part of the reason why IMSA and, and World Endurance Championship, the way that they have their formula, is the most fruitful one right now in all of motorsports. It's because they came up with the right cost containment and they came up with, with a balance of performance or convergence formula where you could have a turbocharged engine or you could have a normally aspirated 5.5 liter V8 like Cadillac and like Corvette. You can go out there and race. Uh, and that's why the Rolex 24 a couple of weeks ago had... 60 whatever cars you know and there's going to be more next year you know like that's the whole formula one doesn't know what the hell they want fom doesn't know what they want um they have a they have a real problem with uh branding um they're they're basically wanting to be their formula e with engines is basically what they want to be uh because now, like, just as an example, another piece of news was the Spanish Grand Prix being moved from Catalonia from, uh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, Circuit de Catalonia to the streets. It's like you already had a street race in Spain when, when Alonso was at his peak. And that track is now in complete disrepair. And that area looks like a, it looks like New York back in the 80s. I mean, it's, so it's like, what kind of stunt are you trying to do by going to Madrid? Like, I don't understand. You already had Formula... Why? Because Formula E did Madrid. They think that they can run Formula One. I mean, come on. Uh, 
Formula One cars need to be wide open. They need to be racing in on permanent circuits, not on street circuits. Uh, not driving in car parks either, which like they do in Miami. Um, you know, like Monaco is Monaco. They shouldn't race there, but they do. Uh, that's that's iconic. It's been there forever. Okay. After that, I mean, this whole thing to going to street races with Vegas. It's a novelty act. I think after this this season with the same stupid schedule that they have, people are going to be put off by it. And that whole novelty act is going to start to be an issue. Um, Miami is a joke. They have Coda. The U.S. Grand Prix usually is one of the best attended races of the whole calendar. And it's at a circuit that a lot of the, a lot of the drivers like. I, don't, I wonder what the heck's uh, going on there. It's a permanent circuit. It's in Austin, Texas. You have tons of fans that can come from everywhere. You can come from Mexico, even though they know they're going to have the Mexican Grand Prix the next week. You have, I mean, I don't know. It's fucking, I mean, Formula One's got an identity problem, and they got a fan problem in that people don't want to watch Fish Lips. There's plenty of people who don't want to watch Fish Lips win every fucking race by 30 seconds. Um, and And, and, just basically have no competition in the process uh that so i mean they they don't know what they want and that's what it's going to be so i guess that's what we have to deal with we'll uh switch it around though we'll go and bring it to um nascar actually where they're act there's a general sense of trying to have competitiveness uh through whatever means manipulation and the like uh the crash at the Coliseum, third year they've ran it. The torrential rains in California uh, moved the race from Sunday to Saturday. They got rid of the heat races. They got rid of in the last, last chance qualifiers. You needed to go out and group qualifying and make it. If you didn't make it in the top 22 um, and you weren't Ryan Blaney, uh, you were likely to go home or you were going home. Um, Ryan Blaney, just as an example, the defending Cup Series champion, needed to take the past champions provisional to make the make the show, um, and made made use of it. Chase Briscoe ended up starting right on the on the tailback in twenty second, next to last, with Blaney, um, and moved up to the top ten. Uh, Barely made it in, uh, benefited from the last group really having a hard time getting pace in their qualifying session, which was really surprising. And it hung out the likes of Christopher Bell, um, Christopher Busher, uh, amongst others, where who were who ended up um, getting uh, hung out to, because of the qualifying uh, setup there. I mean, it was. It was interesting. Uh, it took, you know, they ran about 18 laps, 18, 20 something laps before they uh, had, uh, they were able to put up their big, their big qualifying run. And then, but you talk about the people that didn't make the race. I'm, I mean, we'll get into who won all this other stuff, but you have Josh Williams, who was literally the first car out uh, driving for Colleague, uh, Josevar. A uh, rookie driver, Josh Berry, driving in his first race in the four car uh, for Kevin Harvick. Daniel Suarez, 
um, who holds the LA race as a big one for him. Dylan, who who finished third in this race last year. That Jones boy, uh, first race back in a Toyota uh, for him. Christopher Busher, as I mentioned, who the Roush Fenway Keselowski team has had a nightmare at the Coliseum uh, there this whole entire time, but um, Brad was able to actually make it. Uh, so for the first time ever, Gumby Sindrick, uh, Daniel Hemrick in the 31. I mentioned Christopher Bell, Kaz Grala driving for uh, Rick Ware. His teammate actually did make it into the show. Uh, Harrison Burton, and Zane Smith, another rookie, uh, gets knocked out there in qualifying. Um, but in terms of on the other end of the qualifying spectrum was Dennis Hamlin, um, newly engaged to Jordan, his longtime partner, um, baby mama, all that. Uh, he's um, trying to, I guess, change the whole vibe and things uh, with with his uh, career, knowing that uh, basically all he needs is that championship uh, because he's got a lot, basically everything else. He's won every big race, sands the, in the Brickyard 400, but he'll get a chance to do that later this year. Um, he's won the Clash multiple times. I don't know if he really thought he was going to win or he was going to be in a position to win the Clash this year, but it worked out to where... He got himself in position to do so. His uh, It was a Gibbs benefit. The new Toyota seemed to be very good, um, not just with the downforce, but I guess with that team, with those, got, with those cars and uh, with 2311, where they were able to just, they had better drive uh, and they had better braking, it seemed, than everybody else. Uh, so it was something they took advantage of. And um, Keebler Gibbs was the one who who was the biggest benefactor for the majority of the day, um, ending up leading 84 laps in the race. Um, you go and look at that. Yeah, I mean, the the Gibbs guys, Denny Amlin and, and Ty Gibbs, they led all but nine laps of the 151 uh, laps of the race. Uh Joey Logano ended up leading eight laps, but gosh, in, in the end, Denny Hamlin gets the win. He was spinning his tires basically off and going and smoking his tires in every corner, spinning the tires off, but nobody could catch him once he got the lead. Uh, Denny Hamlin starts his 2024 season with a bit of momentum as he also goes to chase a fourth Daytona 500 victory, um, which would be... Uh, pretty epic in his case uh if he were to do pull that one off here in a couple of weeks time of course you know with denny hamlin goes out beats uh, everybody's favorite driver once again uh there so you know definitely um getting off on the right foot there starting uh on the pole and coming off of uh, shoulder surgery as well that was documented uh this off season that he did and there was a little bit of uh doubt if he would be, even be available uh for this uh race but you know ended up being available and was able to kind of tough it out here still kind of recovering from that surgery but got back uh here took the pole and uh ended up winning the race so uh yeah there was a lot of i mean 
dominance by yeah by Joe Gibbs. Ty Gibbs had uh, a lot of that race led and um, you know ran into traffic and Joey Logano uh, was able to kind of move him out of the way a little bit. Uh, although I think kind of overdrove the first corner on the restart on the last restart there and uh, allowed Denny Hamlin to kind of scoot into the lead there. So, um, you know, then they had the tussle there after uh, the race, a little bit of uh, disagreements with uh, Logano and uh, Ty Gibbs. So you had that drama. Um, then, you know, the halftime you had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. actually jumping out of the car and then going over to John Hunter Nemechek and unhooking the window uh, net, which I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a driver go go out and do that, especially when technically they're all supposed to still be in the car and everything. So, um, you know, we've seen drivers go up to another car after the race when the window nets are already kind of un, unhooked and down and uh, and then go reach into the car, either the punch of the guy or get in a little argument or whatever. But, you know, never seen kind of like what Ricky did there. But, uh, yeah, that was interesting. And um, you had that and then a little bit of uh, dust up with – Larson and Bubba Wallace on the last restart, I think they got into it, and then Kyle kind of just used him up there at the end uh, like that. So, yeah, that. But um, I thought the short track racing, I mean, it was pretty decent. They didn't have any shifting. I don't know if they had shifting last year, but they didn't have any shifting in this race for sure. Uh, And it looked looked pretty solid. I mean, for the most part, it it wasn't, like, amazing or anything like that. But, anyway, I think it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, in terms of having a race and uh, having a preseason type of race like that to kind of get the action going and all that. Uh, you saw drivers overdrive into the corner, use the car in front of them as kind of a, a crutch or whatever to get in the corner and everybody kind of overdriving unless you were in the lead uh, there. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of typical of that style of racing and also this track type with everything being so tight and narrow at this uh football coliseum makeshift track so um you're going to see that type of racing and i think now kind of curious to see what the short track racing will look like once we go to martinsville go to uh bristol and all that if it looks a little bit tighter if it looks like kind of like this where you're really able to lean on guys uh throughout the race and you're not you know it's not a uh fair where you see the driver kind of just uh or the leader kind of just uh drive away from everybody so uh we'll see we'll see how that goes but yeah definitely uh you know this race was uh had had a, a little bit of action throughout and saw plenty of beating and banging and everything throughout the second half of uh this race so uh yeah denny obviously coming out of here he's the guy uh to start out the season we'll see how uh, his season goes and if this is a preview for later in the year kind of like what we saw with in 2022 with uh logano winning this and then ending up being the uh uh season ending champion for that so that'd be interesting and uh actually interesting i know i just thought of this but logano won the actual championship in 2022 and then uh last year martin Truex won the regular season title uh, after winning this season opening clash so it could be a good trend for Denny Hamlin even years so far the winner of the clash has gone on to win the regular title so or the uh, uh the title at the end of the year in Phoenix so that that could be interesting but yeah Denny Denny uh wins the race of course Kyle Busch uh winning or getting second podium uh for uh definitely for the people there with Morgan and Morgan uh on there um if you're a Florida native or, and I know they're national now, but seeing that, uh, Morgan and Morgan for the people, that's, uh, one that's 
ingrained into my mind after years of seeing those commercials. So uh, that was an interesting paint scheme uh, that they had there, uh, of course, and Ryan Blaney coming all the way from the back, finishing third. So, you know, Team Penske getting off to a decent start here uh, with, uh, you know, Logano in fourth as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, interesting race uh, and everything was able to actually watch it, uh, of course, but uh, glad, I mean, glad they were able to have it, of course, because, you know, obviously if they had waited until Sunday, which NASCAR has done before, you know, they uh, wouldn't probably have had it, but they were proactive enough to try to get it to Saturday night, which they were able to, um, might have screwed over some people that were trying to fly in to see the race, but you know, it turned out the, I mean, at first it didn't look like there was going to be a whole lot of people, but uh, I think as the day kind of went on, people more more people found out about it. Uh, you saw, like, at least through social media and stuff, at least on the front stretch, there's definitely uh, a decent amount of people that kind of turned out into the grandstands. So, um, obviously, they took a loss. You know, it's making the best out of the bad situation and everything. So, at least give credit to NASCAR on uh, being able to hold the race. And we'll see. We'll see if they have this race next year, of course, with uh, we don't know where the clash is going to be or if they'll even have a clash. But, uh don't know if it'll be here in Southern California again, but we'll see. Yeah, it's something I they were talking about it on the socials. Justin Marks uh, going in, uh, jumping on an idea that Landon Huffman mentioned on his uh, Twitter, where it would be uh, to the benefit of not only NASCAR but of uh, short tracks here in in the U.S if they would invest in these short tracks, run the race there, say at a New Smyrna or whatever, one of these tracks may be more local to the teams, and invest in those tracks, run the race, people get to know those tracks, similar to what SRX was trying to do in a way, but they didn't, it wasn't like investing in the infrastructure, they were just racing there. Um, But the idea was to go and invest in the infrastructure, putting safer barriers in and getting fans in temporary grandstands, you know, being able to go and see some of these great racetracks that we have in this country that they're not using since they decide they have to race in a football state, (laughs) an archaic football stadium. But, um, you know, I, I think also the notion of racing in Mexico is also there and there are options with that. Um, if they race the clash in the summer, I think Canada would also be a, there would be options in Canada because they have ovals, um, in Canada based on the Cascar series. Um, they use, I mean, Hermano Sarias, they use, make an oval, they have an oval, um, version uh, for the Mexico NASCAR Mexico series too. So all different things there. Um, we'll see what happens with that because um, these these uh, quote all star races or these um, whatever whatever you want to say the exhibitions uh, have kind of taken a hit in recent years. Um, the quality has gone down greatly. Uh, so it would be nice to see something different or something that uh, was interesting, uh, to be fair. Uh, Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Blaney, Logano, Larson, the top five. Bowman, Briscoe, Keselowski in his first uh, L.A. clash. Martin Truex, the defending race winner, and William Byron 
round out the top 10, essentially, uh, which it's no surprise. Uh, it was a Gibbs and Hendrick benefit. Uh, you look at the results there. Uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five of the top 10 uh, were the those two teams represented. Priest, uh, Bubba was the last car in a lead lap. Uh, Daryl Walsh Jr. got spun on the last restart and then uh, went up the tunnel and said, uh, no mas. Uh, he said, screw it. Um, John Hunter Nemechek from uh, uh, 21st position to 13th. Tyler Reddick uh, driving a Jordan brand, number 45, uh, finished 14th. Ross Chastain, who hit everything but the lottery, uh, kind of fulfilling the prophecy of being the new Ernie Irvin uh, uh, every single race. Uh he finished 15th. Oh, Richard uh, getting into it with Michael McDowell, which I get because Michael McDowell a, is a pansy. Uh, people always go for his whole Jesus freak routine, but then he drives like an asshole half the time. So, oh, Richard was like, I'm not going to have that. And uh, But then also he had an issue with John Hunter Nemechek, and of course he's a Nemechek, so you know he's going to drive over his head and be a dumbass. Um, Corey LaJoy, Keebler Gibbs, who uh, was the leader and then ended up getting moved. McDowell, Gagson, Justin Haley, uh, who blew up. He started in the top 10. Uh, he's had good luck at the uh, Coliseum in the past, qualified on pole for the clash uh, through the heat races a couple of years ago. William Clyde Elliott II and Todd Gillen rounding out the field. I mentioned the drivers that ended up DNQing uh, for the race itself. So we'll see what happens um, as we get to the Daytona 500. We'll, uh, what was it, next week, definitely preview all the big three NASCAR series, or at least we'll preview the Daytona 500. I know that. Um, might have some guests on because it is the start of the NASCAR season in uh, full force. Uh, we'll find out. We'll f see how the week goes, see how the Super Bowl goes. That'll that'll also play a role in that, I think, um, and, uh, and the like. So um, speaking of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58, um, weather affecting the 49ers in terms of their practice situation, their outdoors at UNLV, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were able to get the Raiders facility, so they're practicing indoors. Um, the Niners, it looks like, aren't going to be able to uh, share the facility with the Kansas City Chiefs, whatever. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's just yet another uh, thing to go and get the Niners ready to um, try and stop what has been 20 it's been 29 years since the last super bowl win uh kermit the frog trying to get his third super bowl in what four years or five years or whatever the fuck um i mean so that uh, he's uh trying to do his whole brady routine um you got the this that that famous singer uh her boyfriend going out there um trying to go and break more records and be a tool in the process um 
but I, I think one thing that we have to look at, Josh, from this for this game, at least on both sides of the ball, is the running game. I mean, everyone with the I've been saying this for weeks, and I'll can I'll keep on going with it, even though in a couple of days from now they're going to give the award to Lamar Jackson that Christian McCaffrey is the MVP of the league because the whole entire the offense starts with him here at the San Francisco 49ers. Ever since he's become a San Francisco 49er, he's taken his game to another level if it was possible. And Kyle Shanahan's offense has looked completely different with him as as their running back. Um, He's made Brock Purdy's life, uh, given him a a lot of comfort, (laughs) a lot of opportunity to kind of be able to get out of the kind of get out of jail card that he is um i mean christian mccaffrey is at a level of an mvp and he may not win the he won't win the mvp of the league but he could win super bowl mvp on sunday and i think that matters uh, that does matter pretty much as uh, matters a lot too so um isaiah pacheco on the other side has been a revelation since he got drafted by kansas city the rutgers uh product new jersey uh guy runs hard runs tough uh he's a kind he's a uh a guy who goes and sets a tone and um the way the niners have been defending the run recently I honestly believe that Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a good game. Uh, and if that's the case, that also means Kermit the Frog is going to be able to do what he wants, uh, dictating the ball uh, or where he's going with it. He'll be able to use Rashi Rice, who is his, basically his only wide receiver, uh, but he can also kind of do Debo Samuel stuff. Uh, so it's interesting how there's a lot of similarities with these teams. Of course, the 49ers of George Kittle, uh, the best actual tight end in the NFL. Um, not a poser who's a wide receiver, but he's massive. Um, but, you know, like uh, uh, in terms, I mean, you got a lot of similarities with these two teams. And it's interesting, this matchup compared to a couple of years ago, uh, was four years ago when they played, uh, they had Tyree Kill, Kansas City, um, they were more of a dynamic downfield passing team. Now they're more of a medium, uh, uh, short to medium passing game. But of course, Patrick Williams can do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, he's the face of the league. I think the NFL honestly wants him to win. Um, the way that they put enough, I mean, the amount of commercials that bastard has between him and Kelsey, uh, you'd the the whole work and talking about fixes and stuff. I mean, I, the the narrative. I mean, even with how bad the Kansas City Chiefs played this regular season, uh, they get to the playoffs and all of a sudden their offense looks better than it has all year. Um, their defense has been the better end, uh, better side of the ball, and um, you know they have guys like Clark and uh, whoever they have, Legarius Sneed, which there's an irony in that. Mooney Ward used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he wasn't as good of a player as he has become since he became a San Francisco 49er. The guy that essentially took his spot, Legarius Sneed, has become one of the best corners in the league. So now you have that 
the parallel as well. I mean, so there's a lot of similarities with these two teams. Uh, it's a game that I think it was a close game four years ago. The Niners were up uh, and had they could have finished the deal, uh, but Kyle Shanahan got too conservative. Um, they weren't able to make a couple of stops and Bob Sala's defense and whatever. And um, third and eighteen happened and. Kermit the Frog became a, brought him back, and they won the game and became a Super Bowl MVP, even though he didn't really play a great game. Uh, but in this case, I mean, it's it, this game should be a, a close matchup. I mean, last year in the game against Philly, that game was close basically the whole way. Uh, Philly played, I think, you, you know, Jalen Hurts, played better than Patrick Mahomes for a good amount of the game, but he made the one mistake that he couldn't make. And that was essentially the difference. Uh, the fumble that he had that was returned for a, a touchdown. Uh, it's going to be the small margins here in this game uh, to decide it all. And to be fair, that's what you want in a Super Bowl. You want it to be about the little things and details. And when you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid, you're talking about a guy in Kyle Shanahan who's done basically everything but win this game. Um, the Knowing that his dad was a two-time Super Bowl winning head coach, and he also was the offensive coordinator when the 49ers won the Super Bowl the last time, and Steve Young set the record for the most touchdowns ever in a Super Bowl game. Uh, you know, you got Ed McCaffrey was a part of the 49ers when they won that Super Bowl. And he then went on to go and win two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos. He's won four total. He also won one with the Giants. Um, but he won four Super Bowls with two with Mike Shanahan as his head coach um, at Denver. And now Christian McCaffrey goes and plays with Kyle Shanahan or for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, there's that that situation there and the how close they are. Um, uh, Olivia Colpo, Christian McCaffrey's uh, fiance, decided to pay, I don't know how much money it was to buy one of the suites in um, Allegiant Stadium uh, for uh, her future mother-in-law and Lisa McCaffrey and the family. Uh, pretty insane. I mean, there there's a lot going on here in this game, but I mean, the running game to me, Josh is going to be huge on both sides of the ball. And then just the def both defenses, how they show up, how they play. Uh, Kansas city's defense has been uh, outstanding the whole year. Steve Spagnolo, uh, one of the best jobs he's done in his career as a, you know, one of the better defensive coaches and uh, coordinators in, recent memory uh, they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball uh, but so does the 49ers and the 49ers honestly have not put a complete game together in these playoffs so far so I honestly wonder uh, if they can put a if they do put a full game together what that actually could mean um, and there are a lot of guys that I think are due to have a good performance and uh, it's the best time to have a good performance for sure.
Yeah, you say that and the ability of the 49ers to put you know put together a complete game. I think that's going to be the key factor is I think if they do then um they should be able to win, but you know on the other hand, you know you have uh the defense of the Kansas City Chiefs with uh, how they've been able to perform throughout the year at a fairly elite level, uh, you know, with Chris Jones lining up at defensive tackle and uh, defensive end at times, and then you have uh, Legarius Sneed at corner, Nick Bolton at linebacker, of course. Uh, so you have a lot of good players on uh, the uh, Kansas City uh, defense. Uh, Carl Aftis, another linebacker that's been pretty good as well. So uh, they've, they've been able to put up pretty good numbers and be effective uh, throughout the season. And then you know you have, uh, for the offense of the 49ers, you have a lot of talent. So I think that's going to be the really the key matchup in this game. Uh, of course, you know we know that uh, Mahomes and you know, then they'll be able to score and uh, do all these sorts of things. Um, and I think, yeah, of course, the uh, for them, it's going to be able to run the ball as well. So, yeah, I think this game is going to really take on a defensive and offensive uh, running the ball uh, type type game. Very, it's going to look, I think, very old school. Um, you know, not it's not certainly going to be like, or it could be like last year, but it won't look like in the same where passing was really. The, the highlight. I think this is going to be a very physical matchup. Uh, you're going to see two teams go out there and try to try to win at the line of scrimmage, and uh, you're going to see Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, running around and stuff. And you're going to see Purdy having to uh, hang in there to the last minute to find the opening, uh, the open guy, uh, and everything. And you're going to see uh, a lot of that stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see how Brock Purdy can go up against. Uh, the Sp- Steve Spagnolo defense and go up there and uh, try to move the ball down the field. So it should be interesting. Uh, but you know, you have uh, that, of course, and then uh, the you know the uh, the field. You know, you talk about the uh, advantage that possibly I mean possibly could be an advantage to use the Raiders practice facility over UNLV. But uh, you know maybe it makes the 49ers tougher, more resilient uh, for them to be able to go out and play in this game so uh yeah you have that's gonna be interesting and you know i think um the what what type of offense does andy reed put out there of course i mean it's gonna be a lot of run the ball but how are they gonna pass and yeah, i think with uh patrick mahomes this playoffs he's been a very short ball intermediate ball type uh player which that's you know kind of what tom brady did uh, and everything you're not I, I think the era of the legion of zoom where you know Mahomes could just like flip it down the field it's not necessarily over but you know at the same uh, time I think it's gonna be a different type of game so uh, yeah it should be interesting to see and um, you know I think both teams match up pretty well against each other so uh, you know I think we're gonna see a pretty good game out there but yeah I mean the sort of the 49ers um, you know, they have a chance to redemption from four years ago uh, and have a chance to go out there and win the Super Bowl for the first time since, uh, you know, 1994 against the Chargers. And the Chiefs have the ability to put Patrick Mahomes in. I mean, he's already up there in the GOAT conversation, but of course he's, you know, going to have his third Super Bowl ring in, you know, five seasons. So uh, it's, uh, you know, very much like Tom Brady. So uh, definitely uh, could have that there so you know it's going definitely going to be a very fun game to watch i think it's going to be a, a close contest and i mean also thinking about it just while you were talking josh about the game that 
the special teams uh, is another piece. Uh, Punting-wise, I think both teams are very good at that, of course. Um, Kicking-wise, brother Knight Harrison Butker has been inconsistent compared to previous seasons, Uh, but I would say that he's more... Of, he's definitely a proved, more proven commodity compared to the Jake Moody, the rookie for the 49ers, who has a big leg. But uh, in recent weeks, later in the season, seemed to have some struggles. Uh, game-winning kicks he has missed. Um, so if it does come down to kicking, uh, how will that work out? Now, of course, being indoors, it's controlled uh, being in, in Allegiant Stadium. So taking one of those variables out of there um, as long as the field itself is good uh, that also would be a take away another variable that could get in the way but um, I mean you talk about some of those defensive guys on the Chiefs I meant I said Clark I meant Chris Jones I guess I was thinking about four years ago Frank Clark but uh, you know guys that could go out there and really make a difference. Like in the NFC Championship game, it was Jawan Jennings. Uh, you know, he had to make a had to make big plays. You had guys on defense that haven't really have been quiet. You know, Chase Young uh, had been quiet for a while. Had to make some plays. You had guys on the defensive, like in the secondary, to really come up big. Uh, you know that it's it's something where you, this is the biggest game there is. You know, you you go out there and you make plays. Um, I remember when the Rams in Tennessee and it was that guy Mike Jones or something, who the linebacker who made the play and tackled. I think I think uh, Kevin Dyson short of the the end zone. Is it Wycheck? I don't know. No, it was. It, I think it was Kevin. Or, Wycheck, one of them others. I know Wycheck threw the forward pass that ended up being the 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 Music City miracle. But um, I forget that play offhand. I know McNair threw a ball. I feel like it was Dyson, and then Jones went and tackled him at like the one to save the touchdown from happening. And then uh, St. Louis winning the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner um, taking after he had taken over and uh, Dick Vermeil winning that Super Bowl and all that. But, you know, like it's people like that, you know, Larry Brown, who nobody really thought about when Dallas won that Super Bowl. He had a couple of picks of Neil O'Donnell. Uh, you, you have guys that, unsung heroes, people who may not have been big-time players, uh, become big-time players in this spot. Uh, it's a place where, for Kyle Shanahan, honestly, this is his his career right here. If he can go out there and put a game plan together and this team can play to their best level, um, which they have played at times a good amount of this season, um, it I have a hard time believing that the Kansas City Chiefs can uh, beat the 49ers. It's not just because they're my favorite team. They've been the better team across the majority of the season. Now in the playoffs, we can make, the case that Kansas City has been better, and it's pretty easy to say that based on what they've done. Um, Kermit in Buffalo, the way he was just dealing 
there. Um, the first round matchup, basically being able to destroy Miami uh, from the jump. And then in the NF- AFC Championship game, uh, Patrick Mahomes barely could miss. Uh, and uh, they took away, took the game out of Lamar Jackson's hands and took away their offense. And because of that, they weren't able to... Um, and it wasn't like it was a high-scoring game either, but because it wasn't a high-scoring game, largely because of their defense, so uh, too. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm i trying to think of guys off the top of my head that would be X-factors, but, you know, Debo is a X-factor as long as he's on the field. Um, I think Rashi Rice on the other end is the same thing. Uh, if you look at... I think the interior, the defensive tackles, I think, you know, you have the Niners went and signed, uh, um, why the hell am I forgetting his name, a guy from Philadelphia, um, uh, off the Philadelphia defensive line last year, and, um, you know, see, I thought I... Eric Barnett. Yeah, Hargrave, yeah, Javon Hargrave, and then you have Armstead, who might possibly win the Walter Payton Man of the Year um, because he's been the the Niners have put him up for that I think the last four or five years uh, he's um, he, he his presence especially against the run that's going to be key the same thing on the Kansas City side uh, trying to go and control Christian McCaffrey is it possible it has been at times this year. But um, will will they be able to manage that? The guy who theoretically is the MVP of the league um, and the straw that stirs the drink, pardon the pun, uh, for the 49er offense. And then for all the disrespect that Brock Purdy takes, not just from hacks in uh, sports, TV, and radio, but um, from other players, former players and the like, um, this is what he he's he wants you know this is his spot he um he led that comeback they were able to come back against green bay he led a 20 plus point comeback uh, or 17 point comeback against the detroit lions what if he just decides to go and put his foot on the gas from the beginning and um try to take control of it from the start and um and don't give the opportunity to patrick mahomes what would happen in that spot? Uh, there was, uh, I mean, even like you think about, I can think about some of these games this year. I mean, the Philadelphia game, they had a bad first quarter um, and then proceeded to absolutely anally annihilate the Eagles. Um, they destroyed the Cowgirls, and that game was basically over before it started. Uh, they, a uh, good amount of the games, especially against tough competition, uh, they were on the. They went about it the other way, and they just were comprehensive. Uh, the one exception, of course, was against Baltimore, um, and that's a concern. If he goes and plays like that, um, Kansas City is going to make them pay. Uh, it took Baltimore until the second half for them to make the Niners pay. It won't take Kansas City as long. Um, so Brock being. Uh, they can say game manager it's fine if that means he's not turning the ball over uh i'll take he can be a game manager i could give two shits if brock purdy is a 
fucking game manager. He can game manage his way and have a piece of hardware on his freaking hand. That's fine. Call me a game manager too if that means I'm going to go and have a big effing ring at the end of 60 minutes. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's he is ready for this moment and ready for this spot. Heard all the bullshit. They're going to keep on saying it. Um, everyone's talking about Mahomes because of his legacy, the whole Brady comparison, three Super Bowls in five years, Josh mentioned. But what about Brock Purdy? What about Mr. Relevant? What about 262? You know, one Tom Brady was 199, and six other quarterbacks were picked before him. Uh, I don't know how many quarterbacks were picked before Brock Purdy, but he was the last pick in the draft. And, uh, started third on he was the third string quarterback on the depth chart uh or was a, yeah he was a third string quarterback it worked out that way he was going to be the backup then he became the third string quarterback and ended up having to be the quarterback and has been a revelation ever since he's been the 49er quarterback um this is where he goes and joins joe montana it's where he joins steve young if he can go out there and have a great game a great performance on Sunday, and he's capable of it. That's the difference. Um, it wasn't the same feeling with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, this one is different for sure. Um, I mean, for me, I, I was, I've was i been conflicted, of course, because you pick against Patrick Mahomes at your peril. Uh, I, but I'm, I just have to pick, <laughs> have to pick my team. I, I can't, I can't tell myself to pick Patrick Mahomes just because it's Patrick Mahomes. I can't do it. Uh, I, I say the 49ers get the dub. Uh, they win uh, 20, 27 to 23 is uh, my score. Uh, Josh, what do you say in terms of the game and who will win in this score? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to go with the 49ers here. It's just uh, hard. I mean, I think we both pick the 49ers here but you know, i think they are also you know just legitimately the better team i think they have a better all-around team uh around them uh so yeah i think they'll they'll get it done but yeah i'm i'm gonna go with uh yeah i'm gonna go with 24 to 21 a little bit lower but still uh still a, a fairly close game yeah that, i mean i think it's gonna come down to late in the game there anyways and that both those scores lead into that for sure um and uh i guess we can go and make we can also make mvp uh choices i'm gonna say cmc ends up being uh the super bowl mvp uh with the if they win the as long as they win the game there so phil uh, yeah, so CMC MVP uh, the game. Uh, how about you, Josh? Uh, I I'll just say Brock Purdy gets MVP, which would be uh, which is what has been the uh, trend, of course. Just like the MVP of the league in the regular season has become a quarterback award somehow or another. Um, the winning quarterback has been the MVP of the Super Bowl for I don't know how many years uh, in a row. So uh, I think the last time that it wasn't um, was... Adrian think, Peterson, probably, right? Adrian Peter. You mean Vaughn? I know Vaughn Miller 
Vaughn Miller won the MVP for Denver. Oh, oh they, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the uh, – I thought you were talking about the regular MVP. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson was the last non-quarterback to win the MVP of the league, and that was like almost a decade ago, uh, basically a decade ago uh, or more. And then in terms of the Super Bowl, I think it was Vaughn Miller was the last non-quarterback to win uh, Super Bowl MVP. But – you know, I, I guess we a Super Bowl MVP list. Uh, go to football reference. Oh, well, Julian uh, Edelman. Actually, yeah, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup and Julian Edelman. But yeah, Von Miller. All right, so I wasn't, you know, so there's been quarterbacks. Um, the last non-offensive player was Von Miller. So there you go. You had that. Um, Cooper Cup won it for the Rams. Um, Julian Malcolm Edelman. Smith. <laughs> that, yeah, that is, yeah, whatever. Uh, that was a year after. Oh, God. Um, it's nauseating. Uh, and then, um, I guess, yeah, awards index in terms of NFL. What is it? AP, the most valuable. AP, most valuable player. Yeah, that's, yeah, so... The last, yeah, it was Adrian Peterson in 2012. Yep, it's, and that is, um, and before that, it had been since LaDainian Tomlinson. So ever since 2007, only once since 2000, or once since 2006 has a non-quarterback won the MVP of the league, uh, which is ridiculous <laughs> uh, to think Uh Especially when you look at back in the um, 90s. I mean, it was, to be fair, I mean, Steve Young won it twice. Uh, Brett Favor won it three years in a row. But then you had three out of four years where you had Barry Sanders, Terrell Davis, and Marshall Falk. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, NFL honors. We'll also see what happens with um, the game itself. And uh, depending on how that game goes, you'll probably hear it in my voice, um, if I have a voice or not, um, depending on what happens there. So we'll see what happens on episode 207 um, of the GSP. So, uh, livery reveals, we'll get in the roundup here, um, the whatever the hell they want to call themselves, uh, the... The Alpha, what do they call it? What used to be the Alpha Romeo team, uh, Sauber. Kick Sauber. Um, yeah, Kick Sauber. Kick, Steak, Sauber, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, they're basically Team Green now uh, with, uh, with um, carbon fiber and green uh, on their car. Uh, for years, of course, they've said green is unlucky on cars, but I guess they don't care. Uh, Williams with the FW46 uh, and new uh, sponsor Komatsu, uh, slightly um, tweaked uh, scheme from last year, um, added a couple of sponsors uh, to that, mostly a couple of shades of blue, there um and then the orange accents of golf and then the duracell um copper top on the uh, uh, cowl and uh 
over there and the engine, the air, the air intake there. So uh, that's the Williams. They've also, um, those two have debuted their liveries. Uh, You also have, um, I think Haas also uh, showed their, their livery a few days ago. Um, They've added more, uh, the Haas is actually much bigger on the side pod, uh, much more of a, uh, I guess, more black, I guess. I don't know. Uh, more of the carbon fiber look uh, as a case. The Money Gram, you'd think, because that's the team sponsor. Oh, they have Chipotle. I didn't know that. No. Uh, so that'll be mostly black on the sides. And then uh, it's, yeah, more like maybe like 85, 90% black car. And then you have the Haas and MoneyGram as the red um, accents. And then little parts of white there, which both fit the Haas and MoneyGram uh, logos as well. Uh, Trying to see what else is um, there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have some of these launches with the motorcycles uh or moto gp um track house with america with the basically american flag wrapped around their bikes uh and uh even though they have two spanish riders um uh let's see here uh the in the the news of the sprint race format for whatever reason they insist on continuing those um so so the sprint race format now they'll have the qualifying free practice and sprint qualifying will take place on friday sprint race on saturday shortened race format will proceed qualifying for the grand prix uh which will occupy its usual saturday along with the full race on sunday um there will also uh, park for me can be reopened between spin race and Grand Prix qualifying necessary setup tweaks. Uh, they'll also re-roll back on the restricted power unit allocation. Uh, four, they'll have four power units. Uh, the so that's the the ice, the internal combustion engine, MGUK, MGUH, and turbocharger, which considering there's 24 Grand Prix, they should have been doing this anyway. Um, DRS also will be enabled one lap after a caution or one lap after the start of the race. Um, so those are new changes uh, added on top of the um, uh, sprint race format uh, to Formula One. Uh, and the last uh, piece there in terms of F1 uh, uh, is the whole Karen Horner thing. It uh, I hadn't heard about it, um, but then I started seeing it through the grid talk and other things where um, there's a probe going on in within the team. Um, he's denied, but he's not exactly known for telling the truth. Um, so he's uh, um, the launch investigation. I mean, it sounds like he's sent uh lewd photographs to a, a female uh i think employee or somebody uh which um 
you know, it's not, it seems to be a, a, a sad trend in a lot of uh, circles and um, inappropriate. The guy's been the team principal at Dish team since they started in Formula One in 2005. Um, he comes from money. His dad was, uh, I forget, uh, Carl, not Carlin, um, what the, what the heck was the team that, uh, he ran, uh, they were in, uh, the lower formulas, uh, his dad owned the team and then he was running it. Uh, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but, uh, he's been around a while. Uh, he's somebody that of course got an ego to say the least, uh, when it, you know, he's a, he's been a, uh, uh, he's a sore loser and he's an even worse winner. And in this case, I think he believes he can fade, uh, doing what he did through whatever, um, lies or, um, using the media to his advantage. Uh, but, um, uh, I know innocent until proven guilty. Okay, fine. But, uh, maybe it's the karma train finally catching up to him for all the bullshit that he's pulled. Uh, especially over the last three or four years. Um, you know, I think that uh, when you're a married man and you have to go and do, and you're married to a freaking spice girl and you're telling me that's, you have to get your jollies off by going and sending lewd photos. Uh, I mean, that's, that's uh pretty weak. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't put it past other people, that are on that are per team principles. I look at these guys, and there's at least a couple of them that I would figure are probably have done it too, but they haven't gotten caught yet. But um, with Horner uh, being the most high profile uh, of them all right now, uh, this is a big problem for him. It's a big problem for Red Bull. I mentioned one eyed Marco. And the way he is, um, they've let him basically run roughshod and say incendiary things for decades. Um, now you have the team principal doing what he's doing, allegedly. Um, I don't know, Josh. To me, it, it seems like inmates running the asylum. But then when it comes to Red Bull, they're not really a actual team. They're just a freaking... They're a drink manufacturer, but now the that Matisic isn't here anymore. Of course, the there's gotta they gotta do something um, if these things are really true. Um, and if the I mean horror in terms of Marco, he says fucked up shit all the time. But in terms of Christian Horner, doesn't matter how rich you are or if you're a trust fund baby, you go and pull a stunt like that, and it's and it's legitimate. Uh, we'll see you later, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting situation that you'll know, we'll have to see what the outcome is. And, uh, you know, they ha have to think that something will come out of it uh, and be really shocking if, you know, especially in this day and age, if nothing came out of it. But, you know, it's also Red Bull and there's possibility that that could happen. But, uh, I mean, it, I think the ramifications of that, you know, who would they put in uh, for their replacement if, they asked him to step down uh, from that. Um, you know, also, what does it do to the team? Do you know engineers start leaving and going to other organizations? Uh, you know, do they you know decide to follow Lewis over to Ferrari or you know 
start there, you know, could it could start a, a ramifications that you know could affect the team down the down the line and you know affect the team's performance. And of course, if he stays on, you know, and this gets bigger and bigger, you know, it becomes a, a distraction. Of course, I mean, um, we'll see how the investigation do, uh, comes through and. You know, if they come to a conclusion, or if it's ongoing uh, in between the season and uh, everything, so that's something to look at too. Is if uh, how long this will take to you know resolve the matter, so uh, you know legally and in, internally. So you know, if they ask him to step down before the season starts, that's pretty big. But you know, once the season starts going, you know, uh, how long does it keep going? And uh, it's you know, obviously, it looks like the team's performance could be affected by it but you know obviously that's something that could happen but yeah it's a you know, not a good situation and you know like I said he's married to spice girl and everything and it's power it's a power dynamic you know they uh that's that's really what it is but you know um we'll have to we'll just have to see what comes out of that and obviously it's uh not a good situation definitely not and i mean we we're talking about f f1 and the good bad the good of uh, Lewis's announcement and how common, you know, just regular people are hearing about it and it's a big deal. Uh, and then you hear this and then you have to wonder what what really, what Formula One and FOM, FIA, all of them are thinking here or trying to do uh, when it comes to like sexual, sexual whatever it is uh, you want to not i mean assault or sexual uh, deviancy um in the case of karen horner uh, allegedly uh the last thing uh where before we get to your sim segment josh is with indie cars of course indie cars your uh, is one of your specialties uh kyle larson uh, someone who's going to be in an Indy car at the Indianapolis 500 this year, uh, weather permitting, is going to have a test at Phoenix uh, International Raceway uh, with his group at uh, McLaren. Tony Kanan, the performance coach, will be there. Um, they hired an engineer that's been uh, at multiple organizations to be his uh, Larson's engineer for this one-off deal. We'll we'll see what I, what it is, and I mean, I guess for Kyle Larson, knowing that he was going to be able to possibly get in an Indy car, uh, he probably was thinking about that uh, instead of being in the Cup car. But he still ran in the top five. Also, has got his hands full with um, the High Limit series this year, uh, which is essentially the All Star Circuit of Champions combined with uh, his him his and uh brad sweets uh sprint car deal uh they're running for running a full championship in 2024 so that he's got a lot of irons in the fire kyle larson but he's my test if he doesn't end up being able to test at phoenix the next time he's going to be able to get in a car actual car will be the open test at indianapolis so i'm assuming he really wants to get in that car and get those laps um at a racetrack where of course he's won a cup series championship at a few years ago yeah i mean i think for larson this is a pretty big deal and 
uh, you know, obviously he needs seat time. Um, obviously he's going to be competing in the uh, Indianapolis 500 and at least attempting to make the field this year. Uh, so it's important to get as much seat time. And, um, yeah, it, it is kind of interesting to see that he's only, you know, he was in the open test back in, uh, October and he's going to be doing this private test here at Phoenix, uh, which it looks like he's already done some of it. Uh, because on Twitter he posted a picture of his IndyCar on pit road and said, I wish I had this arrow kit back in November, referencing his uh, battle with Ryan Blaney for the cup championship there. So he got that and uh, maybe possibly testing more tomorrow or if it's just going to end up being a night test, similar to how NASCAR, you know, with the clash ended up happening. Maybe it's something like that. But uh, for Larson, of course, you have this opportunity here uh, and then, won't have another opportunity to get behind the wheel of an Indy car uh, in in real life until uh, uh, until mid April. So yeah, that's going to be interesting to to watch and see how how he he does in this. Uh, you know, I think uh, he's kind of banking on the uh, simulator kind of uh, you know helping him out and filling in the gaps and stuff like that. But you know, also he's going to have to be uh, doing a lot of neck training. I think I assume he is, but, uh, um, I haven't really, maybe, maybe he hasn't really put on neck muscle. Maybe he's one of those guys that strengthens his neck, but it doesn't get any thicker or anything like that. But cause obviously you see these Indy car guys, they, they've got thicker necks than some of the F1 guys because, the, um, they actually experience a little bit more force, uh, than, than they do. But, uh, that's something to be, uh, interesting and kind of notice that with Jimmy Johnson, although Jimmy did a lot more than Kyle Larson is doing here. So that's going to be interesting to, to look at, uh, too. But, uh, you know, for Larson, of course, 217 miles an hour, uh, back in, uh, October for the test there in the new car. Uh, we'll see what their speeds, if they report it here at Phoenix, and then, uh, we'll see how he does in April, but you know, it's a, big step in him to be able to gain more confidence and uh, run run the Indy car and we'll see you know if he's able to uh, put up competitive lap times that'll uh, you know safely put him in the field and uh, obviously he's there to win so we'll see if he's able to be competitive enough to lead laps and everything but he will also be able to do this in 2025 as well so uh, we'll see how that goes yeah and considering what the McLarens were able to do in last year's 500, uh, you know, Felix Rosenquist uh, was super fast. Uh, Pato Award was really fast. And, of course, Alexander Rossi, a former winner of this race, uh, you know, being able to go out there and have an opportunity. Uh, the It's a good situation to jump into. And then Tony Kanaan in his final Indy 500 uh, had a, solid day in uh in his car so i mean the mclaren team unlike when they had alonzo years ago uh they're they're in a much different spot and the likelihood of being able to make the show is high uh he um trying to get it into the top you know the top 30 which is locked in that's really an initial goal but you know if he can make the fast nine or whatever i mean the 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 thing is he i probably wouldn't be able to even compete in the fast nine or fast 12 or whatever because he'd probably have a cup race the next day unless i don't know what the schedule 
where the schedule lies in terms of the NASCAR Cup schedule uh, relative to Indianapolis 500 qualifying. So that's all, you know, based on whether uh, the weather, of course, cooperates too. But um, yeah, I think that's during All Star Weekend. Okay, so that would be so he could theoretically um, run if they move the qualifying earlier in the day, which I think they ran it earlier in the day last year. Uh, he could theoretically run uh, if he made the fast 12, then get on a plane and a helicopter and do that whole jazz um, and then get a, a car to get to Wilkesboro or wherever. I think it's Wilkesboro again, right? So um, going in the middle of nowhere, Carolina. Um, so that'll be his plan i guess if that all comes off and speaking of qualifying speaking of making the show at the indianapolis 500 right now the rumors and the way things are rolling um it looks like there's going to be 35 or 36 cars for this year's indianapolis 500 at least attempting to make the field um and after the dramatic qualifying of last year which saw green rehaul uh initially go home but because of the accident that um uh with what is it, it was Catherine Lagan and Stefan Wilson uh Stefan Wilson ended up being knocked out of the race uh so Graham Rahal ended up taking over for him but in terms of getting into the field and you think about it for the Daytona 500 which we'll be talking about next week it used to be in the in the dual races the twin 125s and it became the duels one dual 150s that the top 15 in that race would make the show um no matter where you were qualifying wise whatever if you finished or in the top 14 not counting the front row person in that race you'd made the show then after that essentially the top 30 was locked in after both races from 31 through whatever was based on qualifying speed and then there was provisionals back in the day for many years that's how it had been but recently because nascar implemented the charter system 36 cars are locked into the field no matter what before we even start the daytona five before we even get to qualifying for the daytona 500 so there's only four spots open for open cars. Uh, essentially, the fastest open car or the two fastest open cars that show up will end up being in the field no matter what. And then one car, the the top finishing open car in each duel ends up being in, in the race as well. That's how the race is gone. Now... What this has to do with IndyCar, and especially the Indianapolis 500, imagine if you have 27 cars locked into the show uh, at Indianapolis before we even get to qualifying, and essentially we're having the last, the, the shootout is essentially for the last three rows, uh, because everybody who's a full-time participant is locked in. Um, it's not, I mean, definitely with the Indianapolis 500, it definitely doesn't fly, um in my for me as a purist but then i also was was around when the irl um came along and they did 25 and 8 they also had 35 cars in the indy 500 in 1997 um so 
there i mean the notion that we're trying to uh do uh stay with what 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 has been the the norm uh for all these for many many decades it looks like indycar is going down the route of charters josh and i know on social media and chad frankenfield as uh, one person who's very outspoken about it um i'm not as like it's not like a raging thing it's just sad um because that's one of the things that makes indy 500 qualifying so dramatic um the whole graham ray hall thing would have never happened uh last year if uh they had locked in spots uh you could be absolute dog shit which the ray hall team was and uh you're still going to make the show. And then you might be sending a car like uh, R.C. Enerson with uh, uh, his team, the team that he was with, uh, home, perhaps, even though he was faster than X amount of cars. Uh, you know, there's... It, 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 will, it will turn into the same kind of thing like uh, when... I mean, it, it's kind of like what happened with... Um, like the days of Penske going and missing the show after winning the last two Indy 500s uh, and winning the last two poles at the Indianapolis 500 in 1995 with Emerson Fittipaldi and Alan Sir Jr. That wouldn't happen. Uh, you know, Bobby Rahal after winning the IndyCar championship uh, going and failing to qualify in 1993. I mean, there's the drama and like dramatic the last day getting into a car and backing it into the show literally uh, there was the drama in like 2010 or something with brian herda um owning a team and with sebastian savedra and he puts it in the fence um but because of what sarah fisher's team does and with jay howard and then paul tracy somehow or another sebastian savedra who's in Methodist Hospital getting evaluated, backs himself back into the Indianapolis 500. You know, like those kind of things aren't going to happen if they have a locked-in field. Now, do I get why they want a locked-in field? Sure. But, Josh, I know you are you had some takes on that. Uh, it's really, uh, it's you were losing uh, what makes IndyCar racing, one of the things that makes IndyCar racing uh, unique compared to other forms of racing at this point. Well, I mean, the Indianapolis 500 is co supposed to be comprised of the fastest 33 cars, and that's why it's called the fastest 33. Uh, when, you know, bump day happens, uh, you know, that's why there's the drama, even if, you know, it's three to four cars that probably have no shot at actually winning the race. It's the three to four cars that are trying to make the field uh, for the Indianapolis 500. And granted, there's you know a lot more excitement when there is a lot more entries attempting to make the field. If you know we had 40 cars making the field or attempting to make the field, this would be a lot more intense. Uh, there's you know definitely uh, a lot uh, of activity that goes on that we've seen in the past. Of course, last year we saw it with Graham Ray Hall not making the race, and then and he ended up being inserted into the field, uh, taking over a car, but the team didn't earn any winnings from that. So I think that's part of it uh, and everything. But I think, you know, for uh, them to consider this, I mean, I think you have to also consider the business model of how they're running these organizations and everything. If it comes down to them 
like why why does uh, why do they need to depend so much on the Indianapolis 500 obviously it's the biggest race of the year but uh this race shouldn't be the make or break in terms of you know sponsorships and money and all that stuff i think that's that's why they're trying to lock uh themselves in and do this guarantee and so that they can you know inter you know ensure the long-term viability for the teams and uh you know just disagree with making the Indianapolis 500 uh, a you know uh, guaranteed field that's never been supposed to be like that. You know that's why the 25-8 rule was so controversial. You know back in the day and everything. So you know of course I've experienced it as well, failing to qualify for the Open Wheels 500, which obviously is based on the Indianapolis 500 and everything. So um, the special events, well, not the iRacing special events, but the uh, privately held special events that tried to replicate the Indianapolis 500, you know, those fields were so tight and it was so hard to try to, you know, get in and you had to have everything right. And that's part of what makes it so intense is just the um, level of detail that you need to be able to make the field, the just the amount of work and everything. And I think if you guarantee it, you know, it takes a lot of that drama away that, you know, make helps make the race and everything. And you know, one thing I thought about today was, uh, you know, back in 1995, 1996, when all of this was going down, you know, what if it was flipped, the situation was flipped, it was cart that was, you know, deciding to go to standardized, let's just say that uh cart was the one that was still holding the 500 not the indianapolis motor speedway or uh uh the irl right and cart was the one that uh implemented the 258 rule or whatever yeah i feel like the teams back then i feel like they might have been okay with it actually because they would still be in power right you'd still have all the big teams that were in power back in you know those days with penske uh and Ray Hall and all the other teams that were Newman active Newman Haas. Yeah. So all, all those old, older teams that, you know, a lot of them no longer here, you know, what if, what if it was, you know, cause I think part of the reason why they were so mad about being locked out was because, you know, they would only have, you know, cart was the big series and they would only have eight spots because the 25 were guaranteed to the so-called IRL teams. So uh, if it were flipped in that you know, situation, it was, it was cart with the 25, guaranteed entries and uh you know irl with eight entries you know i i feel like you know, there's probably still be conflict but kind of feel like they'd almost be okay with it in a way because uh you know they would still hold hold the cards and they wouldn't be locked out of uh competing in the race and i think i think that's what it kind of boils down to is um you know being being guaranteed to make it and um you know not having to worry about not being in the race uh, and everything but you know i think uh it does take away from the the purity i guess you could say of uh running uh this race and everything that goes along with uh the tradition of the indianapolis 500 yeah i mean it's a good point you brought up with 25 8 i mean i i think about it in another way in that only Derek walker uh attempted to send or sent a car to indianapolis uh for that race penske didn't send a car for that race um he had three cars in the us 500 uh, newman haas of course had two cars in the us 500 and paul newman said he would never um race in the indianapolis 500 ever again now that ended up changing uh, a few years later uh once uh, things kind of settled out uh, he and him and Carl Haas ended up coming back to Indy 
uh, with one-offs and then eventually with their team prior to the health problems that uh, ended up basically ending their organization. Uh, you had, I think it was a team green or it was a one car team back then. I'm trying to remember off off the top of my head who was around, like Pat Patrick's team. That was another one with hi to my family at home. Uh, I mean, w- the point is there was a way for the car teams back in that day to basically end the IRL as we know it, and they didn't bother to. Um, and when you bring up like the 25-8 rule, and if the IRL was on the on the low side of that, how many cars of that 25 were really worthy? Um, the 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 Menard cars uh, with the late Scott Brayton, which ended up being taken over by uh, Danny on Gaius. Tony Stewart ended up uh, uh, getting the pole. Um, after the passing of Scott Brayton. Um, I think Mark Dismore or, or Robbie Buell was like the third car. All right. Our hairy lunatic with Treadway. That's that's one. That's four cars. Davy Jones for Rick Gallus, who, of course, was racing on both sides at that point. That's five cars. After that, I'm like, I can't even remember. Or Buddy Lazier. Okay. With Hemelgarn. He had been somebody who'd run indie been run for many years so that's six cars would there have even been er, an aj foyt probably i guess there you go aj foyt would probably have two cars um because after that i'm like i'm trying to think about who the hell um was in that field i know um was it greg beck had a car with that Matsuda. Uh, there is what is it scandia andy evans had a bunch of cars in that field uh yeah what i i mean whatever i i I could go back i'm doing one of my i mean my memory these days is not anywhere near as good as it used to be i mean i'm the fact that i was able to pull out that much is i'm I'm pretty glad um but um i'll uh um, move it over to you josh uh speaking of indycar speaking of racing uh in general uh we talk about i racing and gaming uh, in the sim segment yeah of course uh you know getting back into it of course and everything for this year uh ran a little bit of uh the ferrari gt3 at olden park bit of a learning experience there uh so that was interesting uh ran uh the mx5s at okiyama circuit uh drove i should have streamed that one because i I I screwed up. I should have won that race, but then I I carried too much speed in the first corner and spun out and then recovered, but still finished second. But probably should have won that one. But uh, uh, this week NASCAR Class A fixed series and open series at Long Beach. So that's going to be entertaining uh, to see uh, NASCAR uh, at Long Beach here on iRacing. So that might be fun to uh, try out. Uh, production car challenge uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course and the uh, Mustang GT500 only series at at that as well. So definitely going to hit that one up. Uh, Gen 4 Cup at Iowa Speedway uh here uh formula v's at sukuba circuit uh touring car challenge at okiyama circuit uh, uh spec racers uh the scca the sports car club of america uh f- challenge at uh road america uh uh see the 
other series here, NASCAR Oval Series. Uh, yeah, the Draft Masters at Talladega with the 2009 COT uh, car. NASCAR, yeah, Xfinity is at Rockingham this week uh, at uh, North, you know, North Carolina Motor Speedway. Uh, you have the uh, ARCA series at Motegi here. So, yeah, lots of action here uh, this week uh, in terms of, let's see, the news in iRacing uh, this week happening in iRacing. Um, and I think they have their weekly challenges, of course, with the uh, Draft Masters and Ring Masters here. So, yeah, this is going to be uh, interesting. Yeah, the Daytona 500 is coming up here soonish, so got to get, start getting ready for that. Uh, and everything and being able to to run that uh, again as I usually do the past couple of years that I've done that on iRacing so definitely looking forward to doing that again and having a good run so uh, that's coming up yeah the weekend of the weekend leading up into the Daytona 500 so uh, the real Daytona 500 so uh, yeah that should be interesting uh, I guess the actual nascar coca-cola i racing series is going to do their own daytona clash instead of the uh actual uh you know clash at the coliseum uh speedway so that's uh kind of interesting seeing that i guess definitely a little bit more entertaining or i guess better for i racing to be on the super speedway than on uh than on the clash uh la coliseum track so that's kind of an interesting choice there by the series and everything but yeah it should be interesting um definitely going to be doing a lot hopefully you know this year definitely going to be preparing for the iRacing Daytona 500 here uh coming up so yeah definitely be streaming that which uh yeah of course twitch tv slash usehaler2 and go on there and see all the streams and everything and of course super bowl week and being able to lead up into that definitely will be talking about that on twitter definitely on super bowl uh game day you know, be definitely retweeting who I think has good analysis of the game and all that stuff. So definitely be looking at that uh, at JP Huffline on Twitter. So go, go follow there. And of course, YouTube channel uh, at Gripship Podcast. Go there and see our videos, which are all up there and uh, uploaded onto YouTube. So uh, yeah, definitely a good conversation and everything today. And, you know, hopefully we see good result with the, the 49ers and uh, being able to see them uh, take the title course so that'll be very interesting to watch and everything of course and you know getting back into the thick of it of course already with a lot of news to start out with uh you know here in 2024 and racing and and now we just getting started we haven't actually started the real racing yet except for the rolex 24 and a couple of other things so now next couple of weeks here we get back into the full swing of uh nascar indycar and f1 so you know ready to get into it this year yeah, definitely. I mean, the 500 is here next week. All three major NASCAR series will start their season. You had ARCA for their demolition derby that they'll have. Uh, I forget what day it is. So they'll be starting their season. They have a pretty big uh, entry list, too. So there will be some probably decent cars uh, having a chance to go home. Uh, talking about locked-in fields versus not. Uh, in that case, um, for, so we'll talk all about that. Trying to, I might have guests, might not. Uh, see if we can get some people we've had on before back on for the NAS because it's NASCAR. 
Uh, we'll talk about, of course, the Super Bowl, uh, whatever happens. Um, I'll see if I have a voice one way or the other. You'll know what the result is maybe based on that. Um, in terms of uh, that, you can find me at PGMatthew28 on Twitter. You can find me at PhilipGMatthew28 on Insta. You can find us. I mean, obviously, the YouTube page, Josh goes and uploads all the shows there, the video feeds. You can find the sound, or the audio on my YouTube page. You can also find the Grip Strip podcast at philipgmatthew.com. Uh, yep, we'll be back. The Daytona 500's here. We have the Super Bowl of football this weekend, the Super Bowl of stock car racing the following week. We have uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson as the Grand Marshal um, putting over his new uh, spring football league. Uh, amongst other things now he's one of the investors in the wwe now after once upon a time being their lead dog and now he owns a piece of it so uh, we'll talk about the daytona 500 nascar um in more detail next week and anything else news wise that comes up in the world of motorsports we'll talk about here on the gripster podcast uh so for josh phil Uh, Thanks for listening, subscribe in the whole bit, and uh, we'll see you next time on the GSP.